Don't call it a comb back, I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. The little chick she could do in one of those big envelopes and not a box. Because those. <laughs> This is the Press Box. Those big envelopes, you know, you can fit a lot in those big envelopes, like the puffy ones, and then they can expand. If you throw a few chicks in there, they'd be okay, probably. With Grady and Bischoff. Stop trying to save money shipping your chickens in. <laughs> On ESPN Las Vegas. You haven't met my wife if you don't think I'm saving money in this house. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Always saving money in this place. Let's go. The first bite. Is John Gruden out of touch with the rest of the NFL? Oh, what a powerful question. That <laughs> is a you. powerful question, when Jared, I, when to I, start off the morning. When I write these, I really like try to think, like, wh- what what should we talk about in the morning? And then I text Tyler, and uh, yeah, he he's always shocked. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful question, uh, given what they've done in the offseason, Tyler, and what they've done in past drafts, and everyone has an opinion on it, uh, and we've got more this morning in terms of how they've done under John Gruden. So here's a quote from Jason Fitzgerald, who runs the website Over the Cap, which is one of the two websites you can actually go to and get accurate salary cap information on the NFL. Uh, but he said, everything else that they have done You can tell this is a team that's run by someone who hadn't been involved in running an NFL team for a decade. Obviously, that's talking about John Gruden, who hadn't been in the NFL. Well, he was on Monday Night Football, but hadn't been in an NFL team for over a decade. And I don't think it's too far from the truth, because I think if you look at the Raiders' personnel decisions that they've made since John Gruden has been here... They value things that the rest of the NFL doesn't seem to value, or they value players that the rest of the NFL doesn't seem to value. We've seen it. The biggest one is the running back position. That is something that, well, I shouldn't say all NFL teams, but most other NFL teams have kind of jumped on the bandwagon of NFL running backs don't have a lot of value because they're very replaceable. It's much more dependent on scheme and offensive line as to whether your run game is going to be successful or not. And they get injured very quickly. Their shelf life is very short. So you shouldn't be investing a lot of money against the salary cap or high picks in the draft into running backs. And despite that being the trend in the NFL, the Raiders drafted Jeff Jacobs in the first round and the Raiders gave Kenyon Drake the, what, second largest deal of any running back this offseason behind Aaron Jones. Like they went out of their way to put a lot of value into a position that's being devalued. Now, That's on the positional side. The draft side, how many times have we seen them reach for a guy where it seems like the rest of the league has that guy going picks later, if not rounds later? I mean, Cleveland Furl is the high pick example, but even like Henry Ruggs, they took him ahead of other wide receivers that a lot of people thought were better. And David Arnett, those are all first round picks that you probably could have waited on or you probably could have taken a better player or something like where the Raiders drafted them was probably not the highest value that they could get for those picks. So I think it's a spot on um, 
analysis of what the Raiders have done under John Gruden, their understanding of the rest of the league seems to be off. They don't seem to do what the rest of the league is valuing at the moment. Yeah, I don't like I don't necessarily have big issues if uh, a specific team will fall in love with a guy and say he's their guy, but then he better work out. Like, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's been a ton of teams in the past have drafted guys and, you know, been on other boards way later, and then the guys worked out. The problem with the Raiders is that usually that doesn't happen. I mean, I think Josh Jacobs has worked out. But like you said, Damon Arnett, Cleveland Pearl, there's more and more examples of them reaching on guys, perceived reach, because everyone else has them, you know, lower in the draft. And then they just don't work out. I just think people continue to scratch their heads. And again, offseason isn't over. There's still people defensively out there. But as the days go by, it's just a head scratcher as to how they're spending this money, given what they've done with the offensive line and other positions to apparently or essentially clear space to where you can improve the spots that have been the worst for you. Um, it just, you know, again, I, it, the cliche of you have to wait till the end, I guess that's true just to see what the whole product is. But I can't sit here right now and see what they've done and see the positions that are still open and who are still on the market and say, at the end, we're all going to look back and say, boy, that was a really good offseason. You know, they did what, you know, essentially they should have done given how bad they were defensively. I don't know how anyone's going to say that. Um, we're going to have to wait. I get, you know, there might be a grand plan here. We don't know. But it just seems like as the days pass, they're going to end up with a safety that, you know, is either a journeyman or hasn't been very good lately. And you're going to scratch your head and say, what did you really do to fix what's your biggest issue? Right. Like there's a chance we're sitting here at the, at, you know, week three or week four thinking, huh, maybe Jeff Heath should get some more snaps because he's not as right. bad as whoever they signed to be the starting right. free safety next year. Like that's a legitimate possibility that we're sitting here and saying that during the season. Now, another point on the, you know, John Gruden and how in touch with the NFL is he. So... Paul Gutierrez of ESPN had this quote from John Gruden about Kenyon Drake. He can run it, catch it, and return it. He's a threat to make a big play with or without it. I'm curious how he's going to make a big play without the ball, but maybe he's a great pass blocker. And I think John Gruden is overly concerned or overly excited about versatility and trying to find somebody that can do multiple things. When He's the Joker. The Joker. Right, he's the Joker because... Kenyon Drake, like when you say he can run it, catch it, and return it. A couple stats here. First one from Josh Dubow. Kenyon Drake has played 2,351 snaps in the NFL. 7.5% of those he's lined up as a wide receiver. So the idea that Kenyon Drake can, you know, be this joker that can line up as a wide receiver, can provide all this versatility, he's never done it before. Like that's right. not that's not a role Kenyon Drake has been used in. Like Josh Dubow had some other numbers where Arizona actually did line a running back up at wide receiver a few times last year, but it was almost always Chase Edmonds, their other running back, and not Kenyon Drake. So maybe he can do it, but he's never done it before. And then the idea of Kenyon Drake returning kicks, he hasn't he's returned one kick in the last two seasons. He did some kick returning earlier in his career when he was in Miami, but he's only returned kicks one time in the last two seasons. So, again, maybe he will be a good kick returner this year for the Raiders, but it's not something he's done in a long time. So the idea of versatility with Kenyon Drake, like, they're, they're, you're, what you're banking on with Kenyon Drake being an impact this year is that the Raiders saw something 
that Arizona and Miami did not see, and they're going to turn him into this jack-of-all-trades, you know, joker-type player that just impacts games in ways that Arizona and Miami never imagined. Yeah, and, okay, so answer me this. is Because I actually think, you know, Renfro's been fine returning punts. He can return kickoffs. I mean, and you're going to put a guy that supposedly, in your mind, can be really versatile offensively and give you a lot of stuff on offense. You're going to put him in like harm's way by returning kickoffs. Yeah. I, I like, I just, I, I don't get that. I mean, I think, like I said, I think they've got a fine punt returner in, 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 in Hunter Renfro. I think he's fine. And in kickoffs, I just don't know if you put a guy back there that you think is going like, to run it and catch it and do all these other things on offense. Uh, you can get someone to return kicks. That's what most teams do. They don't put guys back there that they think is are going to be so much, uh, you know, a contributor on offense. So, and that's a great stat by Dubot. So I guess, He's going to run it <laughs> because <laughs> maybe he's going to block it. Like you said, maybe he's going to block it and he's going to run it. But you know, this, that's a lot of snaps and it's a lot of evidence to say that he has not done at least yet in his career, what they think or say he's going to do. Now, again, like you said, Gruden might know something everyone else doesn't. Here we go again with just like Cleveland Furl or, you know, uh, um, the guys they've drafted, Damar Nanet, Henry Ruggs, maybe they know something and eventually it's going to work out. But I kind of tend to believe that if it's over 2,300 snaps that he's only done it 7% of the time, how he's going to come here and do it with like 20% of the time that doesn't really, you know, doesn't really follow what he's been. Yeah. And so if you take Kenyon Drake and like try to figure out what, what is his role going to be this year? Because I, I think at the end of the, at the end of the season, we're going to look back and say, wow, they didn't use Kenyon Drake that much because Last season, the carry breakdown by running backs. Josh Jacobs had 273, Devontae Booker had 93, and Jalen Richard had 22. So if if Kenyon Drake average if Kenyon Drake gets a hundred carries a game, right? Or a season, I mean, a, a season. A season. season. That's less than seven per game. And right. catch wise, I think if he gets to fifty. That would be a phenomenal uh, reception-wise season for Kenyon Drake. I don't think they'll throw it to him that much, but if he gets to 50, that's three catches a game. So we're talking about maybe seven carries, maybe three catches a game, and then if he returns kicks, you know, that's maybe one or two kick returns a game. You're talking about like 11 touches of the ball per game for Kenyon Drake. So if we're looking back at the end of the season and Kenyon Drake altogether, the Joker, has 11 touches per game, is that that seems like a really low number, doesn't it? Well, it seems like a long number, I guess, for what they paid him, um, right. and when they could have spent money elsewhere. Uh, you know, and look, I'm, Tyler, I'm going on a limb here, but if Drake gets 50 catches and Josh Jacobs gets his usual 60, that's going to be a lot of catches for the running backs, my friend. And all of a sudden, they're going to be scoring points like crazy. His so, usual yeah, 60. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, a I gentleman's mean, 60. A gentleman's 60 on the catches. Yeah, I mean, seven, seven or would you just say, you know, would it be 11 touches a game, you said? And that's, and let's be honest, that's probably the high end. And that's having him, have him returning kicks, which I still don't think he's going to do. I, I, I just don't think he's going to do that. I think, you know, Gruden said that, but you get into camp, and if you think he's valuable at all, I just don't think you're going to put him back there. So if that's the truth, okay, so take that away. Now you're down to what, like you said, nine touches, eight touches? And he's supposed to be the Joker, and you paid him a pretty good salary, given you have uh, needs elsewhere. I don't think right now the odds favor, let's just say, if we're at the books right now, the prop favors that you're going to look back and say, was that worth it when you had a lot of other places to fill? 
Right. And that's that's sort of going to be the point of, hey, why did they do that with Kenyon Drake this offseason when they had so many other needs? By the way, last year, because I, I forgot to give you this stat as well, uh, eight wide receivers caught at least 50 passes. So saying Kenyon Drake is going to catch 50 passes oh, is... Uh, and that's that's eight wide receivers. I, I mean, eight running backs. My bad. I said eight the wrong back. Okay, eight running backs. So I was gonna eight say, okay, running eight backs. Run- Caught fifty well, ca- uh, passes last yeah, year, and, so and he's not even the number one running back. So how is exactly. he going to catch fifty passes? Right. So again, it's when we look back on it, I think the the only way we look back and say anything good about the Kenyon Drake signing is if Josh Jacobs gets hurt. But even then, I feel like you you would be fine just rolling with Devonte Booker and having better defensive players. Like that mm-hmm. that's at the end of the day is what we're going to look back and say. Well. You signed Kenyon Drake when you could have signed a better cornerback because Damon Arnett still can't cover anybody, or a better defensive tackle, even though they signed 107 of them. Maybe you could have signed a better one in the offseason. Whatever it is, we're going to be looking back saying, Kenyon Drake, you should have used that money on defense. It's going to be just like Jason Witten last year, where it's like, okay, why is that guy here? This poor Gus Bradley kid's back hiding in the lab behind a chair, scared, <laughs> looking at the film. Kenyon Drake, put him at free safety. Two-way player. Get that value. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into the Golden Knights because we've got some trade deadline rumors to talk about. It may not be something that he needs to have surgery for. I think we'll, you know, I think the the hope as we get through the year and and the feeling as we get through the season and then we re-examine, you know, as as we go into the offseason and make a decision at that point about where things stand. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. We'll get more into Fernando Tatis at 8 o'clock in the front page. But now, the trade deadline. What are we, a week away from the trade deadline in the NHL? And Is it, the, are we not knowing it because in the past you just expected McPhee to make a huge deal and because of the cap now you don't expect him to? I was like new when this was, and now I'm like, oh, when is that thing? Well, that and it got moved because of a, the shortened, delayed okay. season. April 12th, less than a week away. I was thinking the 14th. No, it is it is Monday. At noon Pacific time is the NHL trade deadline. So they will make a trade at about 10.05 a.m. Yes, on that day, yes. right after we are off the air. Yes. Uh, 10.05, but... Austin Matthews is coming to Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't know. Austin Matthews. <laughs> Jesus. <Ed. laughs> We've given away nine players, but we need a depth. <laughs> so, okay. Well, let me actually, before we get into what L.A. Freeman said, let me start there. Are you, You're not expecting them to make a trade simply because of the cap space right now? Uh, not a, not, well, definitely, like you said, not ones we've seen at the deadline in the past with some of the names we've seen there. Um, so I can't say completely that he won't do something, but it'll be, it might be a guy where most, you know, you know, average fans might have to Google the name. Like, okay, who's that guy? It might be a Google, a Google trade where you're not really sure unless you're in the NHL or cover the NHL who it is. So it might be one of those because you can figure out the cap. But I don't, I mean, I, you tell me, I don't think you know the cap. I don't know if he can make a major move without doing something, you know, moving a lot of guys around. Yes. They, so, so something would have to happen uh, for the Golden Knights. Now, that something could be somebody with a big salary gets hurt and you put them on long-term IR and now you've got salary cap space. So if you take the guys that make the most money, Stone, Petrangelo, Fleury, Pacioretty, like if one of those guys got hurt in the next five days, then they suddenly would have a bunch of space 
to to work with at the trade deadline because of long-term IR. But that's obviously not something you really control. No. What I would be fascinated to see is if they do something similar to what they did with Robin Leonard last season. Because if you remember, the way they traded for Robin Leonard, the way they were able to keep uh, or get Robin Leonard despite being close to the salary cap, was he was technically traded to two other teams. He got traded out yes. of Chicago, and was it Toronto? I can't remember. I think it was Toronto. I think it was Toronto. It was Toronto. And then got traded to Vegas. That's how it went paperwork-wise. And the reason for that is because when you trade a player, the team that trades him away is allowed to retain half of his salary. So if you trade a guy who makes $4 million, the team that's trading him away can retain $2 million. So if you trade him to Toronto and then to Vegas, that means Toronto can then retain another million dollars. Now, you've got to give Toronto a pick for that. You've got to pay Chicago more in the trade for that. But you can trade for guys like the... So the example that Elliot Friedman had was Ryan Getzleff. And here's Mm -hmm. what Elliot Friedman wrote about Getzleff. This is purely me talking, but I wondered if Vegas would ever kick the tires on Ryan Getzleff. From a hockey point of view, it makes sense, but I don't see how it could ever work cap-wise in the long run. I do think Anaheim sees Getzlaff leading its wave of next young players. Meanwhile, wouldn't be surprised to see Vegas try to add value at center. So okay. looking at the salary cap here, Getzlaff makes $8.25 million. That's his salary. There's no way the Golden Knights could, could fit no. that. But no. if Anaheim trades him to Ottawa and Anaheim retains $4 million and then Ottawa trades him to Vegas and Vegas retains $2 million, now you're on the hook for two two point two five million dollars, and that's a lot easier to figure out how to keep or how to find space for two point two five than eight point two five. Yeah, I mean, veteran player, thirty five. Um, you know, expiring contract. There's a lot to it. Like you said, if you can figure out the cap, that he would. I think he'd be a nice addition. He's had a really really good career. Uh, but again, there's a lot of moving parts there. Like you just said, to involve other teams. To get him, I also, I, I don't know if it was Elliot, but uh, you can uh, help me here. I think Elliot also wrote that, you know, Anaheim might want to hold on to him as they get all these young players and him kind of like bring young players in the organization and kind of be, you know, the, the veteran presence. But, you know, the Ducks aren't very, they're, they're not very good. And if they can find a way to move salary and they are on a rebuild, then maybe it's something you think of. I, I would think if McPhee and McCrimmon thought there was someone to add like this for depth at center, and they can make it work. You have to think about it. We talked a lot about it. And like you said the other day, a 6-1 win doesn't make a difference uh, in terms of do you have to think about doing something. No matter how good they looked against a bad St. Louis team, I think there's been enough evidence where they should probably look at depth in the bottom six You know, if they can make the money work and they don't have to give up a bunch of pieces. Yeah, and I, I think the, the trade that you would love to see the Golden Knights make is the Chandler-Stevenson trade where they give up a fifth-round pick to Washington, and you get a third, fourth-line center for Washington, but you you see something that and say, hey, that guy could be good if he got more time or played with Mark Stone, and Chandler Stevenson has been playing with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty since he came to Vegas for the most yeah, part. Yeah, he's their number and, one center. Right. If you could pull off that type of trade, that's probably the ideal trade deadline scenario where, hey, this guy makes a million bucks, we think he could be better if he had a different role, and we're going to give up a fifth-round pick. You don't give up very much, he doesn't cost very much, and you get a player that actually has an impact like Chandler Stevenson. The problem with that being the goal is that's very hard to do. It's very that's hard to go to other left. teams. 
yeah, it's it's very hard to go to other teams' rosters. Hey, that guy makes a million. You guys are playing him on your fourth right. line. Well, we're going to put him with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Like, that, yeah. that's, that doesn't happen very often. But, like, that would be a perfect type of trade if they could add another center that way that would pair well with Alex Tuck on the third line. That would be phenomenal and actually doable if the guy's making a million bucks. So, who would, that's, who would you be okay with them giving up for someone if they had to give up someone at Getzleff's level? Oh, uh, who would you be okay in in terms of their, in terms of their younger players? Would you just give up a goalie? I'd give up a goalie. I mean, I don't think they will, but that's I don't think so either. Yeah, and that's the number one place I'd be going to is I'd be I'd be looking to trade one of the two goalies. Flurry or Leonard gives you a lot of cap space to work with. Flurry gives you two million dollars more, so he might be the better one to trade if that's your goal. But that's absolutely where I'd be going because when we get to the playoffs, said it all season, when we get to the playoffs. One of those guys is sitting on the bench. Yeah, one of those have a guys of five million sitting on the bench. One minimum. of those guys is not helping you win any particular right. game. Whereas Ryan, Get- even though like Gets last numbers this year aren't very good, I think he's got three goals on the season. Like he hasn't been very good this season, but he's playing for a bad team. But even if Ryan Getzlaff gives you one assist in a playoff series, that's probably more production than whoever your backup role is. Yeah. And so I I do find I find it funny that. The Golden Knights have talked so much about goalie depth and how important it is, but they're doing it at the expense of, you know, center depth when center depth is clearly more important because you can play all the centers at the same time. Whereas right, goalies, right. you can only play one at the same time. So if if I was if that's what I was doing, now again, you gotta find somebody that's willing to take on the Fleury or Leonard contract and somebody that needs a goalie and you don't want to help out. You know, you don't want to give Colorado a better goalie. Like, that would be suicide if you're trying to make the Stanley Cup. But that's that, that's what I would be trying to do. Trade one of the goalies because that's a big cap hit, and that gives you the space to do something significant for your forwards. Can we just float just for the VGK fan base that Fleury's going to Colorado? Oh, God. Oh, oh, listen, for the man. fan base, oh. do it for the show. Marc-Andre Fleury starting for the Colorado Avalanche in the second round oh. against the Golden Knights? We're, oh, my we're, we're God. Now front. We're now joined on a daily basis by Millsy. What did you think <laughs> about last night's 6-1 to loss to Colorado? My, uh, Ed, Photoshop him into an Avalanche jersey. Put oh. it on the front page. Yes. Oh, my goodness. How about the, the number of clicks on that baby if we can get that guy's face photoshopped into an avalanche jersey? Oh, God. And then, you know, Flurry, you know, as nice a guy as he is, his parting comment on Zoom is, I, I read the front page of the paper today. And, oh, God. Uh, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm going to Colorado. <laughs> I guess I'm going to Colorado. I think they got to do something. I don't know if they do something. Like I said, they – they're still really good, and they must be talking. I'm, I'm sure they're talking behind you know closed doors. We've said it all along. I don't know if they really know how they're going to match up with the best teams if they get deep in terms of the best teams from other divisions. They haven't seen or played them. And this is a really tough decision, I think, for them to balance. Are they good enough, or how much would, like you said, uh, you know, a bottom six center for depth mean to them? And it'll be interesting on Monday because we're going to know on Monday what they really think of their chances in terms of you know, we'll be okay if we stay we stay with what we have. All right, coming up next, we will talk to Kyle Goon about the Lakers and the NBA. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now is Kyle Goon, who covers the Lakers for the Southern California News Group. Kyle, how are you this morning? 
Hey, Kyle. Good, man. How are you? We are good. So uh, did you cover a WWE event last night or a Lakers-Raptors game? <laughs> well, Dennis Schroeder thought it was a WWE event and thought the uh, OG Ananobi got him pretty good on the body slam. Um, yeah, that was a weird one. Uh, there's there's some weird things that happen body-wise in, in the NBA, but I'm not really sure what OG was was thinking there and, and uh, properly ejected Trez. Uh, did not think he should have been ejected, but them's the breaks when when you get into those scrums, as as we all know. Wait, Montrez said last night he didn't think he should have been ejected. He did not. So obviously, oh. I mean, the video showed that he uh, he pushed Gary Trent and, and ran in there, but he said, "Look, I, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I was in there defending my teammate. I would do it again." Um, you know, I would do it for any of these guys. The only beef I had with anybody was anybody who wasn't wearing a white jersey last night. So, um, <laughs> definitely, uh, it, you know, these games are in Florida now. They're not in they're not in Toronto. They're in Tampa. So, I think something's in the water. I think that's what it is. Uh, Kyle, we've um, we've talked all along about we know who's hurt on that team, uh, and and just there's just an assumption. Like we were laughing yesterday. Someone said, "Boy, if they you know if they slip to seventh, then thanks for the season, Phoenix, that you had, and you'll be out." But w- what sense do you get? Is it just as easy as you're going to plug the two stars back in, and it won't matter where they finish? It won't matter if they home, have home court at all, and they'll just go ahead and start beating people. I mean, is it going to be that simple, or do you think, with the absence of them so far, that there is some situations where they could get into a you know a, a four or five matchup where they might have trouble? I mean, look it. it- it matters. Um, to, to people saying it shouldn't or it doesn't matter, it, it matters because um, any any way you can make that path to a championship easier, you should do. And obviously, I mean, the Lakers are just limited right now, right? I mean, they have a team right. built for two stars, neither of whom can play. Um, so I, I think it matters. I, I think it matters a lot, and especially when you look at who's, Running around those those as you mentioned, Phoenix is in the two spot. Um, you know the Clippers are in there, the the Nuggets are in there. Um, you know I think Portland is tougher. I don't think I don't think they beat LA um, fully healthy, but they, they are tough um, and probably tougher than they were last year. Um, so I, I kind of really think that a team, especially a team like Denver. Um, and, and probably a team like the Clippers are really, really tough. And if that is the 4-5 or five matchup, or if that is the 6-3 matchup, then that's going to be a really hard opening series, a lot of pressure, a lot of eyes, especially if it is the Battle of L.A., which a lot of you were expecting to happen in the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, there's going to be a lot of attention and a lot of pressure on it, and, and there's going to be a lot of good players. So it's there's just going to be no easy series for the Lakers um, already, um, you know this. Uh, when, when the playoffs roll around, it's just it's just going to be three straight series to get out of the West of just really hard opponents. And I would say Denver is going to be the toughest of all of them, depending on the matchup. Is there any worry? Should we be worried at all that Anthony Davis and LeBron won't be a hundred percent once the playoffs actually get here? Um, you know, I. I'm kind of expecting them to be healthy. Um, I I don't think it's out of I don't think it's crazy to worry. I mean, I think especially this season where 
guys, um, you know, go off for, you know, COVID-19 protocols and, and tests. And, um, and there's been a, a rash of just weird injuries. I mean, last night we're watching a game ostensibly between the Lakers and the Raptors. And, you know, there's no LeBron James. There's no Anthony Davis. There's no Andre Drummond. Uh, there's no Kyle Lowry. There's no Fred Van Vliet. I mean, the, maybe the five best players in that game – um, except for Pascal, are not in the game. And, and it's just been a weird season in that way um, where it just seems like marquee guys are missing a lot of time, weird things are happening. Um, and, and even if the Lakers are healthy, the thing I would be worried about is how many games do they get together. Um, at this point, it's looking more like 10 than you know 15, um, depending on whenever LeBron James is able to come back. Obviously, Anthony Davis has now been almost out for two months. Um, and, and you just got to wonder, how's that all going to gel by the time those two are back? Uh, it's kind of funny. When you look at the East and the top two teams, everyone says, well, one of those will win it. Philly, or, in terms of the winning the East, Philly or Brooklyn. You look at the West, and I don't know if anyone's saying, oh, the top two teams, one of those will win it. Of those, let's say, two or th- two, because of the Clippers and Nuggets, you mentioned as legitimate contenders, who do you not believe in? I mean, as good as the Jazz have been, can they actually win the West? And, and we talked about Phoenix maybe matching up with the Lakers. Are, are both of those kind of pretenders in your mind when you get to the other teams? I mean, I, I kind of view it a little bit from a different prism. I, I really do think it matters that, um, you know, guys on, on, on U, in Utah, and I used to work in Utah, um, so I know that organization well and and really appreciate what the team has, has grown into. But Utah hasn't been that far. Um, Phoenix has not been that far. I mean, even even Chris Paul, the most experienced player that Phoenix has, hasn't been to, to the Western Conference, uh, or I mean, to the finals. And I just think at that level, it's, it's hard. It's going to be harder with, you know, limited to no fans. And I think what the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets have uh, is versatility. Um, frankly, I, I think the Jazz kind of had to play one way. Um, you know, they can they can make uh, Rudy Gobert go out a little bit on the perimeter, but he can't really switch. Um, he, he's, you know, a 15-point-per-guy type, type guy. He, he's, he Offensively, he just kind of limits what they can do. They can make a lot of three-pointers, um, you know, and, and they can do that, and they can get open shots when they want to. And I, and I know that as well as anybody, but they just can't play really more than that one style that they've got. And I, I, I think as highly as, as Donovan Mitchell as anyone in this world, I really love him as a player, but I, I really wonder how that holds up in in the playoffs because it hasn't held up well in the past. Uh, Kyle, how would you gauge the fan base in terms of their uh, concern level about the Lakers? Or are they sitting there saying, yeah, we'll be fine, get the sixth seed, LeBron and Anthony Davis, and we'll roll through everybody? I'll, I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride depending on the night. <laughs> I, when, when, the, when LeBron first went out, I had a lot of fans tweet at me, they're never going to win another game. <laughs> Without LeBron and AD, they'll they will not win. And now they've, you know, they're four and six, which is not that bad. I mean, obviously they've they've eaten against the weaker part of that schedule, but 
you know, that, that's kind of what they had to do. I mean, they, they, they kind of have to win the games they can win and uh, not worry about, you know, when Milwaukee, you know, grinds you down with the reigning MVP. So I kind of think that they've done just about what's expected, um, and, and that's fine. Um, you know, obviously it matters for seeding, but you know, they're still number five right now, um, which, which is okay compared to, you know, maybe if I told you, hey, LeBron is going to miss 15, 20 games, um, you know, how far are they going to fall? So I think as long as they're staying out of that seven spot, and obviously Dallas is surging right now, they're, they're doing some great stuff. Um, and, and that's another team that would, would be trouble uh, if, if they match up with the Lakers. Um, but the Lakers are doing just enough to stay ahead of Portland, stay ahead of Dallas. And, uh, you know, if they can, if they can win at least two more on this trip, which, which now seems really doable um, against, you know, the Heat, the Nets, the, the Knicks, and the Hornets, then, you know, they're, they're in pretty good shape, um, you know, whenever AD is able to come back, which I think will be sooner than LeBron. We uh, saw it in the bubble. Baseball tried it as well. Now the NBA again. Are you in favor of playing tournaments, and can anyone down there, you know, worry anyone above them? Yeah, I mean, I I think it, I think it's fun. I mean, last year in the bubble, I think there was a little bit of an attrition aspect. I mean, Memphis just, uh, you know, by the time they got to the bubble, they were so torn down with injuries that they, they didn't really stand a chance against Portland. But I think in general, I mean, it's it's a good idea. It's it's a good ratings boost. I think, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe it'll come back to bite the NBA if a team like the Lakers winds up in the play-in, um, you know, obviously if the Lakers somehow find a way to lose the play-in, then they're, they're missing one of their highest rating teams. If they find a way to win the play-in, then they're ready to take down a, a, a two or one seed. Right. Um, but I kind of don't think that'll happen. I, I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be kind of fun. You know, you might have a player like Zion Williamson in the play-in. You're probably going to have Steph Curry in the play-in. Um, there'll, there'll be a lot of eyeballs watching. Um, there'll be a lot of pressure out of the gates, you know, to a first round that, I mean, let's face it, most of the time isn't that interesting. I mean, you, you know, a four or five, um, a four or five matchup in most other seasons isn't that compelling. It's, it's a team that's going to be the meat for the next, next round in the number one team. But I mean, especially in the West, it's all pretty interesting this year. It's all pretty compelling. And in the East, you know, I'm sure Lakers fans will love to watch whatever happens to the Celtics who look like they're destined for the play-in <laughs> round. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be an interesting one, I think. I think it's a good innovation overall. Well, he is Kyle Goon, again, covering the Lakers. Uh, Kyle, we appreciate it this morning. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Take All care. Right. Appreciate you. Yeah, so. that's a big – I mean, anytime Steph gets in anything, it's fun to watch. So that'll be actually cool seeing them. Um you know, you know, you forget about the Warriors, and then last night he scores forty-one, and they beat the Bucks by one. And I just like to watch him play. So any anything that gets him more games. So right now, the play-in in the West would be Mavericks, Grizzlies in one play-in. So you'd get Ja Morant, Luka Doncic, and then the Spurs and Warriors in mm-hmm. the other. I don't know that anybody's yeah. excited to watch the Spurs, but you no. get Steph Curry in the East right now. One play-in would be Knicks and Celtics, oh, which fan-base-wise people would care about. But, yeah, but who wants to watch that if you're Neither not of those fan? teams have actually been any good. 
And the other play-in would be oh. Pacers and Bulls. Man. <laughs> Billy Donovan getting a contract extension for making the playoffs. <laughs> as the 10th seed. Yes. Oh, 10th best team sneaks into the because of the play-in oh. and uh, gets swept in the first yeah. round. Yeah. Give him the extension. It's yeah. all good. So, yes, that the the Western playoff play much better, significantly I mean, more entertaining. The East is going to make you watch the Pacers play the Bulls. What we should root for big time is somehow they're what are they? Well, they're three games behind, so it might be tough. But San Antonio slipping behind New Orleans, and you get Steph against Zion. Now that would be a cool plan. Yes, that'd be a cool plan. I don't want to watch the Spurs at all. I'm glad. I'm glad we are all on the same page of get yeah. the Spurs the hell out of here and yes, give us Zion. Exactly. Yes. You, you know yes. it'd be the worst because the Kings are right there too. If the Kings pass the Pelicans, oh, oh that'd be bad. We don't oh, want to watch that. That would be brutal. Yeah. Not nobody wants to see that. But give us Zion against Steph Curry yes. in the first round. I'm on board. Yeah. I, the play-in awesome. will be the play-in will be a success if we can get that matchup. All right. Yeah. Coming up next, we will jump uh, into the NFL. Because the first three picks of the draft might already be set. I feel like I can do this for a number of years uh, moving forward. At the same time, I feel like I can host Jeopardy. And I'd love to. I think I bring something different to the, to the show. Uh, I was the youngest guest host. And there's a different audience that maybe I could uh, bring along with it. Hopefully the numbers show it uh, in the next two weeks. But... I do enjoy the show. I have a ton of respect for the show. I mean, I just, uh, there's the way that Alex had a smooth hand on the show for three and a half decades is something that can't be understated. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. So the NFL draft, we might already be set for the first three picks of the draft. And the Falcons sit at four and have apparently been taking calls on that number four pick. But on the top three, we assume Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville. It looks like Zach Wilson is going to be the pick at number two because um, the Jets general manager, Joe Douglas, was asked yesterday um, about people about Steve Young saying that the Jets are committed to taking Zach Wilson at number two and his response was Steve's pretty plugged in to BYU so that would make it appear as though the Jets are taking Zach Wilson at number two and they're not really concerned about who knows it at this point and then at three we have the 49ers who just traded up and the consensus seems to be that they traded up to take Mac Jones that one I guess is a little less set than Lawrence and Wilson one and two but that would give you the top three set and then the number four pick is where some uncertainty comes in and that's where the Falcons are but the interesting part about the Falcons is they have Matt Ryan so they don't really need to take a quarterback meaning if you're sitting out there, if you're the Patriots or the Broncos or whoever, and you like Justin Fields a lot, he's probably going to be there at four. It sounds like he's going to be there at four, so you could trade up with the Falcons and get Justin Fields with the fourth overall pick. Yeah, trading up for a quarterback um, would make more sense than anything, I assume, just because of the position, and especially if you like him over Mac Jones or if you like him over Wilson. Um I think Lawrence has been the number one pick for like 14 years now. So I don't know who likes anyone above him, but uh, <laughs> you know, the other thing is, um, and you put here in the rundown, this is interesting because it's a tight end and, and but the way Kyle Pitts has been hyped. Um, let me ask you this. If you, th- I mean, I think it's, it, it depends on what you have to give up, but let's say you think he's Travis Kelsey. 
or let's say you think, okay, this is the next, this guy. Um, I know he's a tight end, but could this be a situation where even though he's a position where you wouldn't normally jump up high to get, do you think kind of the reviews on him would maybe cause people to give up a lot just to get up and get him? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, trading up to draft the tight end is no. is pretty dumb. Yeah. Like you, yeah. would, you yeah. should never do that. Right. It, I guess it would depend on what you give up and how far you're moving up in the draft. Like if you've got to move up ten spots and you've got to give up like two future first round picks, like we saw the 49ers do, there's yeah. there's no way that's worth it. Now, if you're moving up a couple of spots and you don't have to give up another first rounder, you can just give up a second or a third. Maybe, maybe that's worth it. But at the end of the day, I, I think you're probably better off avoiding it. Even if you think that guy is going to be Travis Kelsey, you're probably better off avoiding it because if he's not Travis Kelsey, you've made a bad decision. Like that, like you're basically setting it up for to where he has to be Travis Kelsey for that to have been a good decision to trade up and pick a tight end at four overall. So it's probably smart to avoid that because the chances that Kyle Pitts actually is Travis Kelsey, pretty slim. I mean, he should be right. good, but the chances that he's one of the two or three best tight ends we've ever seen, pretty slim. So if you're going to trade up, it's almost always you should almost always only do it for a quarterback. Now, it does depend on what the price is, but generally it's only smart to do it if you're getting a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I guess we talked about this when they got Darnold. I mean, the Panthers are at eight, right? So... If you're at eight, you can also hope he drops to eight um, because, I, you know, if someone comes up and gets fields, uh, that's one spot more. Uh, I think most mock drafts, at least the ones I've seen, Trey Lance, a lot of them having go before eight. So you're right. I wouldn't jump up exponentially so or in, uh, because the price would be too much. But that guy's really intriguing. It'd be really intriguing where he goes because the reviews on that guy is off the chart. I'm more interested in him than maybe one of these quarterbacks as to how he does in the league and if he's as good as everyone thinks he's going to be. Yeah, and that, that's the other part is if a team does trade up to four to take Justin Fields and if somebody trades yeah. up to take Trey Lance. Trey Lance, is, then he starts slipping, yeah. Right, that pushes him down. Because outside of the quarterbacks, the top three are Sewell, the offensive lineman from Oregon, mm -hmm. Jamar Chase, mm -hmm. the wide receiver who didn't play at LSU this last year, right. and Kyle Pitts. So... If the top three are quarterbacks and there were no other trades, then those ben. three might be picks four, five, and six. But if the Patriots or the Broncos go up to four, somebody else comes in for Lance, then all of a sudden you're talking about, yeah, he might fall to eight or nine. And yeah. you could get him there, which would be a phenomenal pick more than likely. Maybe the Falcons just take him. <laughs>